last week I discussed the allies that we should have in this battle for truth. I also discussed what we're trying to win because I think many Christians and certainly non-Christians are confused about the stakes. Some are fighting for political progress or change. Some are fighting for attention to issues and problems of the world. I would argue that in all the possible rewards for victory, we should never overlook the salvation of souls. We cannot personally save anyone, but we can share the gospel and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. This week, we'll be looking at what we're up against in this fight. Yes, I said what, not who. Every one of the people I'll mention considers themselves the hero of their story. Therein lies the problem. There is only one hero, Jesus. Whatever we choose to focus on in this world will be worthless in the next. These are the distractions, the issues that are used to divide us and keep us from our eternal responsibilities. Pay attention because we need to know the enemy's tactics so that we can overcome them. The end is coming, whether we're ready or not. Welcome to another glorious day in God's creation. I am John Kowalski, and this is Rise Up, a podcast about life's challenges with solutions found in the Word of God. Critical Rage Theory, that's a user on Twitter, uh, his handle is at COVID Clown World. Uh, now to be clear, I don't know this person, nor am I sure this person knows Jesus. Uh, that said, he or she has a pretty good grasp of some issues in our lives that we should be concerned with. Uh, as they posted on Twitter this past week, they listed a bunch of them, and, and I'm going to use them. Uh, first of all, climate change. Uh, I dealt with this at length on the last podcast, and I dealt with it a little bit a couple of years ago in the New Green Deal uh, podcast that I talked about before the last election. Uh, so if you missed it, now's a great time to do the fade out callback uh, and check it out. Uh, next, the Green New Deal, which I just mentioned. This one I covered way back before the 2020 election. Check it out. Fortunately, uh, the stuff that they were trying to get passed did not get passed, uh, which is a good thing because uh, their plan would have cost something in the neighborhood of $33 trillion. Yes, I said trillion. Uh, next up is Ukraine, a uh, more current event topic. As a Christian and a humanitarian, I'm 100% behind the people of the Ukraine. They are victims of more than just Putin and his war machine. I'm appalled at the horrific lapses in foreign policy that allowed this entire scenario to happen. The world, and yes, the United States, 
used these people as pawns in a tragic game of chicken with a world leader who has clearly lost the plot. Next is the uh, World Health Organization Pandemic Treaty. They're meeting as we speak. I think it's still going on uh, at the time of this recording. Uh, This will possibly uh, be completed before this podcast goes live. I think it's almost surely it will. Um, Countries across the globe, members of the UN, seem interested in giving away their sovereignty to the World Health Organization when it comes to global pandemics in the future. This means that next time the powers that be declare another pandemic, can you say monkeypox? Uh, the World Health Organization will determine the best course of action for all countries of the United Nations. This to me is incredible uh, and unprecedented, handing that level of power to a global authority and taking it out of the hands of our own country. Um, Cashless society is another huge issue. Uh, A cashless society removes our flexibility with uh, giving, buying, and selling and is even warned about in the Bible in Revelations 13, 16 through 17. It says, uh, also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. The next big issue is gun control, which is in the news again or still i'm not really sure which it's pretty much always in the news these days Um, this is one of the most divisive issues in american society our second amendment may be the only reason that two world wars weren't fought on our soil no one knows how many incursions into our territories the second amendment has prevented That said, a loud minority in this country think we shouldn't have guns at all, despite the fact that the strictest gun law states like Illinois, New York, and California have done nothing to curb gun violence. Can the people calling for an end to the Second Amendment really not understand that criminals don't abide by laws, any laws, let alone gun laws, Can they really not see that the majority of mass shootings happen in schools, government buildings, and other areas where law-abiding citizens cannot carry weapons legally? The recent shooters in Buffalo uh, in the grocery store and in the Texas school this past week likely chose the locations for their horrific crimes based on not having to deal with armed civilian interference. Even some parents of victims don't believe that the guns are the problem. Andrew Pollack, father of Meadow, who was shot and killed in Parkland, Florida, a school shooting in 2018, stated that focus on gun control instead of solutions is why this happens. He outlined a three-point plan for preventing school shootings, an armed guard, a single point of entry, and teacher training. Pollock tweeted this week after the tragedy in Texas, we send out billions of dollars to other countries all the time. Why not fund school safety in America? He's not wrong.
I know personally, as my kids are adults now, but when even when they were in school, and they've been out of school for a few years now, the doors were locked, and and uh, you had to buzz to get in, and nobody let you in. The doors weren't wide open. There was one entrance that people could enter and leave by, not multiple side entrances and whatever else. Um, it's it's very strange to me that so many lapses happened in recent school shootings. Next is uh, Bill Gates and this whole um, formula shortage and, and his uh, coming out with synthetic breast milk uh, research in this almost in the same breath. Uh, how many coincidences do we need to see before we become suspicious of this self-proclaimed savior? Bill Bill Gates believes in population control. Search it on your search engine. No, I don't believe that he's determined to kill people as a form of population control. But I do believe he's proposing abortion, birth control, and other measures to reduce overall population, easing global use of resources. Gates' fingerprints were all over the COVID pandemic, including researching it, talking about it years before it happened. The involvement of a company that he is involved with, Moderna, in vaccine development. Suddenly, we have a formula shortage in America, only to find out that Gates is involved with a synthetic breast milk company. Uh, today, Bill Gates owns 242,000 acres of farmland in 19 states. In addition, he owns 25,750 acres of transitional land and 1,234 acres of recreational land for a total land holdings of almost 270,000 acres. His largest holdings uh, are in um, Louisiana, about 70,000 acres, Arkansas, almost 50,000, and Arizona, about 25,000 acres. Uh, It's here that investments play a crucial role. By providing an injection of cash, farmland investors are facilitating much needed capital improvements and increasing the sustainability of farms long term according to websites that I researched. Um, Plus, sustainably managed farmland will reinforce the land's value over time. Farms with healthy soils, ample water, and effective infrastructure are worth more. And this will be more true in a future where high-quality farmland is increasingly scarce. Uh, These are well-known and widely accepted facts Why is he so deep and all of these shady dealings is still debatable? We may never know why, or when we find out it may be too late. Another Twitter user uh, added some more, and I'm not going to go into these too much. Uh, I think we've talked about them a lot, but um, a user called Ultra Dante, uh, handle is at RealDante12, brings up things like, the whole build back better agenda. It's not working out well, but it's clear that inflation and gas prices and everything that we're struggling through right now is part of the plan. 
Biden as much as said so in a recent interview uh, when he made uh, or alluded to the fact that we have to go through these struggles to get to the better part the, you know, of the Build Back Better, right? Agenda 2030 is something that's being talked about in Davos and we'll talk about a little bit uh, in the next segment. Uh, the Great Reset is, uh, again, something that has been alluded to uh, and proven to be happening around the world uh, where elites are going to gain more power and uh, the rest of us are going to kind of get left in the dust. Uh, We'll talk more about that uh, probably later or in later podcasts. Uh, Sustainability is a word that you hear a lot. Um, Sustainability in a lot of cases really comes down to who's making the money on it, right? Equity is another thing that we talk about. There's equality and there's equity. Um, And whether or not you're for equality or equity uh, can determine which side you fall on in things like the Great Reset. Uh, Stakeholders. I'm going to discuss this a little bit more at length later in the podcast. Uh, What it means, what's the difference between a shareholder and a stakeholder. I think you'll be surprised. Uh, Gender equality. uh, That's another topic that comes up all of the time, even though their own agenda seems to go against it. Uh, And then diversity, okay, which is kind of the backbone of all of these plans. The ESG scores and all of that all have to do with environmental, social, and governance, uh, the social side of it is really about diversity right now. Okay, so we're going to move on. Uh, We're going to talk about the World Economic Forum's uh, meeting in Davos 2022 and some of the agenda items, okay, that they're going to talk about. And I will link the forum agenda in the uh, show notes, as I always do. Uh, The first thing that they're going to talk about is the global chip shortage, Um, talking about uh, women's rights in crisis response. Um, I I find this interesting because they're talking about women's uh, women's rights, but these are the same people that are okay with biological men being allowed to uh, compete in women's sports. They're okay with biological men allowed in women's bathrooms, locker rooms, and even prisons. Uh, The term mother has been denied and changed to birthing person. Um, They're wanting to change breastfeeding to chest feeding because it doesn't include transgender people. and, and we're talking about the same people who also are fine with Sharia law abuses of women in many countries, Muslim countries, and they're not at all challenged by the UN or the progressives in our government. Next, they're going to talk about supporting small businesses. Um, they actually have a lot of gall to claim that, and I'm quoting, across the globe during the COVID-19 pandemic, governments have sought to support small businesses through credit guarantee and salary support schemes. I find that very 
upsetting considering how many companies, how many small businesses were put out of business due to draconian lockdown measures that made no medical sense whatsoever. Not to mention the effective ESG score usage that will allow them to deny business ownerships based on political views. Next, the global heat crisis. This one's a little um, tricky, let's say. Um, They have some kind of a thing called a heat action platform, which is a one-stop user-friendly online resource that provides cities around the world with a roadmap and tools to address extreme heat. Uh, I have linked to this in the show notes as well, so you can look at what they're talking about. Um, It's kind of off the wall. It's very interesting. But again, it shows their interest. These are not elected officials at this meeting in Davos. They're just rich elites. So basically what they're doing is they're creating plans that they're going to force our governments to use with or without our approval. These are not elected people. They're not even from our country, most of them. Um, Next, they want to nurture youth leadership. Uh, And I'll quote them. To achieve this, supervisors will have to pivot their role from merely information and feedback providers to facilitators of experiences, navigators of leadership development, and companions who both validate and challenge the young person. Instead of reaping the dividend from youthful energy, we should sow the seed of agency and leadership in our youth to create a force multiplier for change in both organizations and in a world crying out for social and psychological renewal. Um, I would argue that what they're really saying here is that they want to train the young people to think like they do so that it's more acceptable uh, when we globalize. We want them to start learning it now Uh, thinking in the same ways and being told how to think and what to think. Next, private companies must catch up on sustainability. Here's that term again, right? Sustain, here's how they define it. Sustainable businesses are focusing on three interlinked areas, environmental sustainability, corporate social responsibility, and people sustainability right? Okay. Did you get that? Environmental sustainability is the E in ESG. Corporate social responsibility is the S in ESG. And people sustainability is the governance part of ESG. Environmental, social, and governance, ESG. And their investors Ultimate business owners are increasingly looking at key metrics to assess progress across ESG and diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI, factors in making their investment decisions. More needs to be done with DEI, particularly as, and I highlight this, the pace of change in private companies is lagging behind public markets and that matters so 
public, I'm sorry, private companies are not bowing to their ESG and DEI mandates fast enough. So they're going to get rid of them or bend them to their will. And they can do it because they control the money that these companies need to be successful in the world market. They came right out and said it. They will tell you how to run your business using DEI and enforce it using ESG scores. We'll talk a little bit about how throughout the rest of this uh, podcast, how mandatory human rights and environmental due diligence can create a sustainable future is the next topic on the agenda at Davos. Uh, Next week, the European Commission is expected to release a draft of the standard setting legislation legislation by non-elected people on sustainable corporate governance designed to ensure that human rights and the environment are respected throughout EU-based companies and value chains. Inclusion and environmental mandatory practices Again, calling back to ESG as the enforcement mechanism. Uh, The next one is uh, uh, on the agenda is venture capital must embed ESG to support companies of the future. Doing so will give venture capitalist funds and commercial a commercial advantage because they will better identify and mitigate material issues relating to new investments so they're going to tell venture capitalists who to invest in based on their esg scores so again they're cutting off the money from companies who don't comply right if you can't get loans from banks and you can't get venture capitalists you can't exist as a company. In contrast, venture capital funds that adopt a reactive approach to ESG will be caught out by incoming regulation. They're calling it, they're calling their shot, they're telling you, do what we say or you will not be allowed to do business. Um, Malaria concerns are also on the agenda. Uh, Next on the agenda is digital health to improve inclusivity. Um, Merck, uh, a medical company Merck, has established a code of digital ethics to cement strong ethics around digital health activities. The core principle of the code, core principles of the code are autonomy, justice, beneficence, non-maleficence, and transparency. It sounds like a Disney movie. Um, I looked up the Merck code and just to give you some definitions on what they mean by some of these terms, justice is a core principle to which the sub principles of impartiality, equality, and proportionality are assigned to the, in the context of digital solutions. Justice can be understood as the moral obligation to make a fair judgment between competing claims. So there's Uh, verbiage right out of diversity, equity, and inclusion um, playbook, right? Impartiality means that prejudice and discrimination can result from an unrecognized or ignored distortions of perception 
also called bias. So it's the means that data is co collected or used without prejudice or discrimination. Equality means that no one ought to be excluded from the social and economic benefits of using data and algorithmic systems based on artificial and unjust bar barriers. Uh, Proportionality refers first to the extent at which data is collected and secondly to the limit limitations of data regarding their interpretability by algorithmic set systems. So they're, they're creating rules for how our information and data can be used. Uh, a risk in the use of data is that data collected today may be used for unforeseen purposes in the future. Um, and then lastly, autonomy. Uh, it has its orig origin in the ability of people to develop their own ideas of a good life and pursue goals in a self-determined way. Accordingly, every human being has the right to make his own decisions and to act accordingly to his own standards. Now wait for it. As long as this does not harm the interest of others. Do you see that, guys? They're creating now legislation globally that will prevent you from actually having autonomy if you don't want to do what they want you to do. Um, some quotes that have come out of the World Economic Forum. These are the, you know, the quiet things that they're starting to say out loud. First of all, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz said he, he calls for nations to work together to support a global vaccination campaign, which he terms as the booster shot our economies need. Uh, he also said some will try to tell us that compromise and dialogue are signs of weakness. He says some will try to pitch, pitch climate action against prosperity. So that means what we, I talked about last time or two podcasts ago, climate action regardless of the cost versus climate action while we consider the cost, okay? Some will argue that social progress hampers economic growth, and some will try to divide us into cosmopolitans and regular citizens, anywhere and somewhere, rich or poor. But the truth is, the progress we want will only be possible if we overcome these divisions. So they're not gonna get the progress they want unless we all agree with them. The pandemic, and one more quote, uh, I'm sorry, this is Klaus Schwab, the founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum. And I'm sorry, I know this isn't very Christian, but every time I see him, I can't help but think of Dr. Evil. But uh, the pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. Still think there's no global reset? Um, he also said, the future is built by us, a powerful community as you have here in this room. Quiet parts being said out loud, right? Again, uh, Australia's e-safety commissioner, Julie Inman Grant, said we're finding ourselves in a place where we have increasing polarization everywhere and everything feels binary when it doesn't need to be so and follow this guys listen up 
I think we're going to have to think about a recalibration of a whole range of human rights that are playing out online. These human rights, this isn't her speaking now, um, I guess part of it is a quote, these human rights go from, quote, freedom of speech to be free from online violence and the right to data protection to the right of child dignity. A video of a Pfizer exec presenting a pill with tracking capability for compliance is circulating. Fact checkers are claiming that this is from 2018, not from the current World Economic Forum in Davos this week. The FDA approved Abilify, my site, to have this capability all the way back in 2017. So it's here. And I don't think it's surprising that we're hearing about potential pill form vaccinations. At the same time, we're hearing again about pills that have tracking capabilities to ensure compliance. The term stakeholder Uh, is not very well understood by the average person, but it is a common buzzword for uh, Davos elites. I found it used repeatedly in the uh, articles for the agenda for this 2022 conference. Uh, What does it mean? Well, simply uh, simply put, it's a shift in how elites want us to see capitalism. According to Caroline Banton of Investopedia, And I'm quoting, shareholders are always stakeholders in a uh, corporation, but stakeholders are not always shareholders. A shareholder owns part of a public company through the shares of stock, while a stakeholder has an interest in the performance of the company for reasons other than stock performance or appreciation. These reasons often mean that the stakeholder has a greater need for the company to succeed over a longer term. Okay, so shareholders are now relegated below a stakeholder in this stakeholder economy type method. You can still buy and sell stock. You probably can still make some money depending on what they're doing with their companies. But the ultimate uh, reward goes to the stakeholder. So how does this translate? Elites want to separate their control, stakeholder, from the control of the masses, shareholder, further separating the haves from the have-nots in the resetting of global policy. All right, I'm going to take a quick break, and we're going to talk about maybe some hope that we heard Uh, at a different conference from a pretty unexpected source, if you ask me. I'll be right back. All right, guys, I'm back. And and I want to bring a little confidence and hope to the to the end of this long podcast or two podcasts on uh, challenges to, you know, for Christians in, in the world that we're living in right now. Uh, and I want to give you some hope. And that hope comes in the form of uh, an unexpected uh, place for me, because I didn't even know who this guy was uh, before a couple months ago. So uh, his name's Victor Orban. 
Orban or Orban. Uh, he's the new prime minister of Hungary. Uh, and at a recent CPAC meeting in Budapest, uh, he outlined a 12-point action plan for Christian conservative success. Uh, we don't hear a lot about that from government. As a matter of fact, we hear exactly the opposite um, from most governments around the world these days. Now, I will link the entire article to uh, the show notes, as I always do. But I want to go through a few of them, okay? First, uh, there's 12, obviously. Number one is, we must play by our own rules. He says that anyone who plays by the rules of his opponents will certainly lose. He's not wrong there. Uh, Christians have been fighting by our opponents' rules for a long time. And it hasn't worked out well for us. Um, for some reason, we uh, Christians and conservatives seem to pride themselves on this silent minority, I'm sorry, silent majority thing in the U.S., it's garbage. If you're the si if you're silent, it doesn't matter if you're the mi majority, and you're eventually going to not be the majority because if you're silent, you're not helping people to understand why you believe what you believe. So, uh, Mr. Orban Orban uh, is saying that we need to play by our rules and we need to make sure that the world knows the rules. He goes on to say, number two, that we must implement national conservatism in domestic policy. Uh, this is what has been referred to in the U.S. as Christian nationalism. Now, I think there's a difference, right? And, and I did a podcast of a couple months ago, probably by now, about Christian nationalism and how we can tend to put nation first and God behind it, right? As if God's a cheerleader for the United States. He's not. It goes the other way around. And I think, uh, I think Victor has it right. I think he understands that we're Christians first, but that should be ingrained in our ideology and it should be ingrained in our domestic policy. He says the cause of the nation is not a matter of ideology or even tradition. Churches and families must be supported because they are the building blocks of a nation. It also means staying on the side of the electorate. When your electorate is largely Christian, then it should show in policy. That hasn't been the case in the United States for decades. Uh, maybe a century. I don't know. Number three, keep national interests at the center of foreign policy, right? Progressives have always believed that foreign policy was a battle of ideologies, a battle of good and bad, where the course of history is decided. But as far as I can see, there have been at least four of these great battles in the last hundred years. Something is wrong with the formula. Our response should be a simple and clear antithesis to the progressives, according to Viktor Orban. Uh, he says, Hungary first, America first. 
we need interest-based foreign policy. This is not always easy because foreign policy is often a complicated world. Now, you know, conservatives in America get ripped about America first all the time, but look at what our our democratic leaders who've been in, in the Oval Office since 2020 have done with they're, I don't want to. I don't want to say America last because it, it's really not America last, but it's certainly not America first. We have an open border, right? What is that going to do to supply chains that are already stressed to their limits, right? We have hundreds of thousands of people crossing the border every month, and that's with a Title 42 still in place. So. We have to start thinking about how do we take care of our own people before we're sending billions of dollars around the world to take care of people in other countries. I want to help people as much as anybody does, and I think a large portion of our budget should be used for that. A large portion of my budget is used for helping other people. But I make sure that my household is in order first, as do you, I'm sure. Uh, number four, we must have the media because we can only show the insanity of the progressive left if we have the media to help us. He goes on to say, and I quote, the problem is that the modern Western media is aligned with the left wing view. Those who taught reporters in universities already progressed, progressive, professed progressive leftist principles. Number five. Expose your opponent's true intentions. Again, I'm quoting him. You also need to be a taboo breaker. He added, quote, perhaps I don't need to explain this to our American friends because who would be a bigger taboo breaker than Donald Trump himself? And in, in, a, in a, recept, a respect, that's true. Donald Trump broke the barrier for politicians, right? A businessman was running our country for four years and he wasn't one of the political establishment and nobody was happy about that, right? The Democrats tried to impeach him twice, even after he was out of office and his own party, supposedly the Republicans and conservatives largely fought against him while he was in office instead of taking advantage of uh, the the power behind the office. Um, they sacrificed themselves to keep power in the traditional places. And Orban is clearly telling us that that's not the way to do it. Our country was always governed by people, just civil servants who were there to do what their, the people who put them there had asked them to do. Um, that's not our government today. They are certainly not serving the people that they that put them in office. Next, number six, economic policies that benefit even those who did not vote for you should be pursued. People want to get ahead in life, according to Orban. 
If a right-wing government cannot deliver that, it is doomed to fail. So as conservatives uh, and people with Christian values get into office, they need to make sure that everyone is thriving, not just their own people. Okay, that is not the current uh, temperature of our government these days. Number seven, you must not get dragged into an extreme. Orban said, and I quote, but my friends, what is the difference between a far right denial of science and the LGBTQ movement's denial of biology? The answer is simple. There is no difference. We must give to God what belongs to God to the emperor what belongs to the emperor, and to science what belongs to science. I can't argue with him there. He's quoting the Bible. So uh, I'm going to leave that there. Number eight, we must read every day. And I'll quote him. I know it sounds strange. I'm not a scientist. But the fact is that books are the best way to understand and communicate complex things. And the world is getting more and more complicated. So you have to take the time to understand it. End quote. I'm all for this. You know me. If you know anything about me from doing this podcast, you know that I read, I research, I study, I try to find information that maybe you you guys missed in, in your busy lives. And I can bring it to you and connect it to the Bible so that we can understand better how to use that information in a crazy world, right? He's saying the same thing here. He's saying we may not know everything. We may not have all of the answers, but the answers are all available to us. We don't have to just latch on to the first thing that sounds good. We can look at all of the options, okay? Number nine, uh, you must have faith. I love this one. I love it. I don't love that it's number nine, but I love it. Uh, I'll quote him. If someone does not believe in the final judgment, they think they can do whatever is within their power. Their lack of faith is therefore dangerous, right? Look at the book of Judges, right? It's common theme throughout the book is they all did what was right in their own minds. And that's the world we're living in today. We're we're basically living in the book of Judges again, except God's not going to send judges this time. He's going to send Jesus. All right, that's our final judge. And he's not wrong when he says that people who don't fear final judgment of God are dangerous because there is nothing they won't do because they don't fear the repercussions. They will. They'll learn the error of their ways, but it'll be too late for the people that they take with them, like these school shooters and shopping center shooters and and everybody else, Putin, doing evil things in the world. Okay? Number 10, make friends. Our opponents, the progressive liberals and neo-Marxists, are endlessly united. They have each other's backs. Conservatives, on the other hand, are capable of squabbling with each other over the smallest issue. Then we wonder how our opponents are able to surround us. If you want to succeed in politics, 
Never look at how you disagree with another person, but look for where you have common ground. Genius. I've been saying this for years, right? The Democrats are in lockstep. They even kowtow to socialists like AOC and Bernie to keep them in the fold. It's insane. Yet we're arguing, calling each other rhinos every time we don't agree on some small part of what we're trying to accomplish, right? Instead of primarying everybody, maybe we should get behind the best candidates and vote conservative values back into office so that we can get our country back and start to protect our children from the dangers that are they're being surrounded with while we're playing footsie with each other. Number 11, it is vital to build communities. And I'll quote him again. My friends, I have also learned over the years that there is no conservative political success without well-functioning communities. The fewer the communities and the lonelier people are, the more voters turn to liberals, right? We know that the, I don't know really that it's a liberal value because our country was found on liberal values right? But those aren't the values of who we're calling liberals today. Leftists, socialists, whatever you want to call them, neo-Marxists, whatever you want to call them today, progressives, they want people dependent on the government, right? Because with their print and spend policies, they can control you. You only have what they allow you to have. And you're happy to take what they'll give. But it creates a country that we've seen over the last couple years through the pandemic that has no interest in working anymore. They have no interest in progressing in their lives, right? It's sad and it's disturbing and it's concerning. The communities that he's talking about are the communities that we share as Christians. We have social communities, we have church communities, we have corporate communities within the church, we have our local communities, we have our educational communities, we have our sports communities. We have all of this and all of it brings us together so that we can get along that we can understand each other better. The last thing we need to be doing is disowning family and friends over politics. That's not the thing to do, guys. It's just not. And number 12, the final thing, building political institutions is conducive to success. According to the prime minister, while politicians come and go, institutions stay with us for generations. It is they, the institutions, that can intellectually renew politics. We need new ideas, new thoughts, new people again and again. And when they run out, we run out of ammunition, right? I think this is a great argument for term limits. The fact that we have, I don't know, a dozen people over 80 years old trying to run this country is ridiculous. Their ideas are outmoded. They're corrupt to the core. All they do is 
what's right for themselves and to profit themselves, we've got many, many civil servants, politicians who have become millionaires while in office and nobody seems to care. No, but we want to criticize and attack the billionaire who had money who refused a paycheck while he was in there. And I get it. He wasn't a nice guy. He said mean things. He said rude things. He did. I agree. And I was appalled by many of the things that he said. I don't even follow, didn't even follow him on social media when he was allowed to have a voice. So, but if you look at his policies, were you really better off then or are you better off now? I'm not better off now. My 401k is circling the drain. I'm paying five bucks almost five dollars for gas per gallon which is i don't know two and a half times what i was paying three years ago it's not better okay we have to understand that in order to get christian values back in america we have to support conservatism okay we still have choices we can still vote but i'm sorry people there's, it's time to get off the fence. You have to decide whether mean tweets are more important than human lives. Because the same people who are out, there, are out there accusing conservatives of not caring about human lives because of gun control are the same people that have murdered over a half a million babies with, through abortion. So I don't want to hear about that high horse uh, coming from them. I don't. Um, I will link all of the references uh, for everything that I presented in this and the part one of the podcast. Uh, I hope you've gotten something out of it. I know probably I got a little riled up on the political part two of this podcast, Um, but I hope that you gain something from it. I hope that you're able to identify the enemies to what we are trying to accomplish as sons and daughters of the one true king. Uh, I'm not saying that we should delve so deeply into politics that we forget what we're here for. And what we're here for is to spread the gospel of Christ. So do that, but know your enemy. Know what we have to do to save as many people as possible because we cannot spread the gospel to people who are aborted in the womb. We cannot spread the gospel to children who don't make it out of elementary school. We cannot spread the gospel to people who just won't listen because of political differences. We have to win back the social fight so that we can have a voice in the world that we live in as broken and as damaged as it is. All right, guys, I'm going to call it. This has been an awesome couple of podcasts. I hope you enjoy them. Until next time, rise up.